Welcome to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. Today we're talking about business, just growing your business. <laughs> like <laughs> the problems that, you know, like of of just being overwhelmed and having just too much going on. That could be a huge problem, right, Greg? I mean, this is our sweet spot. We we deal with businesses all the time that are in this situation where they they come to us because they say, "Hey, we want to grow. We don't know how to grow. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we have a great product, we have a great service, but we need help." And luckily today, we do have help because we yeah, have we do. a professional <laughs> business coach here, uh, Tyler Martin. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm super excited to have this conversation. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been coaching and, and what's the type of business and, you know that comes to you and why do they come to you? Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of my backstory. Um, I started my career as a CPA. I was working for small local firms in uh, California. I live in San Jose, California, and thought I'd be a CPA for the rest of my life. And so I was on path to become a partner. And uh, one day I decided I want to start my own business. And so I literally quit. And uh, the the next week, it, was few, it wasn't too long later, I had rented an office. And I was sitting in this very small office with one desk and one file cabinet and a big white wall that I was staring at with no revenue and no clients. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't have, you're living the dream yeah. at that moment, I live, right? Living yeah. the exactly. dream. Yeah. Hey, we've, we've all been there. Yeah. And I, I had, I had my family in my ear who, who isn't very entrepreneurial. You know, they've, my dad was a great mm-hmm. provider, but he always worked for someone. So they weren't exactly supportive. It was very much like, you're crazy. You're blowing your whole life. You're, you're not going to do this. And, uh, I got to be honest, the first couple of weeks, you know, no revenue, no clients, um, you, you, you know, you really start to think like, did I screw things up here? And maybe I need to go with my tail between my legs and march back to taking a paycheck. And, uh, you know, long story short, five years later, I had 200 plus business clients. I was actually turning clients away because they didn't fit my profile. And uh, from there, I went on to run an engineering services firm, which I can go into details on that story. And both entities ultimately sold. Uh, the CPA firm I sold right away, really nice price. I, it was a nice size for uh, uh, small firms to acquire me. And then uh, the engineering services firm was actually an eight-figure sale. Uh, I ran it for eight out of the 10 years I was there and uh, sold it. Uh, it went from $5 million to, in revenue to $25 million while I led it and uh, sold it, made a real nice sale on that. And that's when the business coaching formed. So I'm like, you know, I loved the CPA world of working with clients. I didn't like compliance. Like I felt like compliance was not a value add. It was a, it's a necessary evil, if you will. And so it didn't mm. make me go to bed at night going like, oh, I'm changing the world. I'm helping people. You know what I mean? It just, right. just had no value, guys, to me, like personally. You weren't passionate about it at that point. Exactly. And that's where business coaching like throws that whole paradigm around for me because I really am helping people change their lives. I really am. When I get in a conversation and share my experiences of the last 20 years of challenges that they're facing and how that, how they overcome those, it, it's just so cool. It's, you can see the light go on for them. You can see the air of the stress come out of them. The lack of confidence uh, goes away, um, all these different things. And so I've been doing business coaching in some form for many years. In the last four years, I started to take it on more seriously. And in the last two years, I've had a full robust practice um, of what I pretty much do six out of eight hours, uh, three to four days a week, um, just meeting with clients one-on-one, typically over Zoom. And uh, 
and then that that's how I got down to business coach lane and, and how I'm doing it now. Who are your typical clients? Yeah. Great question, guys. Um, so, uh, a typical client's usually going to have about five plus employees. Um, I tend to specialize around half million in revenue a year per, I'd say probably up on that five to 10 million range. The problems tend to be very similar. They get more exasperated at the larger you get. You have more moving parts in terms of employees. You have more revenue coming in. Um, budgeting and forecasting as you get bigger becomes a little bit different than a half million dollar a year company. Um, so that's generally the profile. They're generally around service type businesses. Um, I have several clients that are in the staffing and recruiting world. I have clients that are in trade services um, throughout the United States. I have uh, clients in in a couple manufacturing clients. I wouldn't say that's necessarily my specialty, but it, um, I know it very well. Um, so it's a wide variety. I don't specialize in one industry just because it comes from my CPA roots. When I had uh, 200 plus clients and when I was working for CPA firms, I literally had the opportunity to work across the whole scale of different industries. And the truth of the matter is nobody likes to hear this, but business problems often are the same regardless of industry. Like um, they don't really change that much. And <laughs> yeah. I don't have to be, my job isn't to be an expert in someone that does uh, uh interior painting, for example. that That's not what I need to be good at. What I need to be good at is helping them see the vision in their business and be able to scale it and grow it, it which pretty much works across any business, the same kind of protocols. Yeah. And I think that's the key point is, is how do you scale it? Because yeah. we hear so often that, you know, Russ and I deal with so many of these service businesses, you use a painter, right? They're really good at painting, right? They, they know the ins and outs of painting. They don't necessarily know the ins and outs of how to run a successful business. And, you know, the whole cliche is they're working in the business, not on the business, mm -hmm. right? It's, it, we hear it all the time, but it's, it's true. It's a cliche because it's happening all the time mm -hmm. that, you know, they, they just don't know how to scale it. If they're not in the field actually painting themselves, they're worried that their business isn't going to grow, which isn't true. And I, I'm guessing that's most of the reason why the people come to you is like, how do I pull myself back so I can work on the business more and grow it so that I don't need to be on every single job painting a house? Yeah, there's so much wisdom in that question. Um, you know, I think people a lot of times hear the word grow and they immediately think more sales. I think that's what we're kind of conditioned a lot of times to think. But to your point, it's really not that. In, in most cases, it's really about building that infrastructure. Um, someone's a really good painter using that as an example. It's, the classic, it's a classic example. They're great at what they do in their trade, but they're getting sucked into these things that they don't do very well. So then maybe that's writing estimates. Maybe they hate writing estimates. That becomes their block. Or maybe it's constant turnover in their crew. Uh, for, for a painter. Um, and, and they don't have any processes to be able to replicate what they're doing. And so it's all these roadblocks that actually prevent the growth. I have a client, great client, does this custom work. It's the most gorgeous uh, uh, custom work you've ever seen, like desks, bars, uh, cabinetry. It's just gorgeous, like molding in these, these mansions. Uh, he, all of his business comes organically by referral. But his own block point is that he can't, he hasn't been able to delegate that until he started working with someone like me. He wasn't even sure how to do it. Every time he delegated, something would go wrong. And then he'd pull back. The classic boner, uh, owner thing is to pull back and say, 
uh, I, I see nobody else can do this. I have to be doing it. <laughs> and these are all the types of things. These are all the symptoms to why uh, typically a business owner can't scale to answer your question. Yeah. And you know, the, the crazy thing about what you're describing is I have been in that exact spot. You know, yeah, yeah. like there was a point where I was just like, well, you know what? I've got to go do, I was, I, I ran an event company. I've got to go do these events because I can't trust anybody to, <laughs> to go out and do this. Like I'm going to do it because right. I, you know, I'm, I'm the face of my, I'm this, I'm that, you know, like you go through those things in your head. How do you help people get past that? Yeah. Yeah. We're cut from the same cloth. When I had my own CPA firm, the first two years were very painful because I wasn't willing to let go. Yeah. And here I was spread thin. I was working long hours and I just couldn't let go. Like, it's like only I can do this. There's liability if someone does it wrong. And until you overcome that, and, and to answer your question, the way to overcome that is you have to realize that things are going to go wrong. Like when you delegate, anybody that tells you it's going to work out perfectly is either lying or probably not very accurate, <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe it's a better thing to say, because things are uh -huh. going to go wrong. When you delegate, nobody's going to do the job as well as you. But I think part of that process is, is designing, a, designing a process, designing a system. So you reduce those errors, setting clear expectations. I'll give you a good example uh, where I think sometimes owners just really don't know better. I had a new client come in and he was sharing with me about how he is frustrated about an employee uh, not following up with a client. And I said, okay. I said, well, how long has it been? And he said, well, they called yesterday. And I said, okay. I said, so what's the expectation with that employee to return the call to the client? He said, well, 24 hours. And I said, well, it's, based on what you just told me, it's like six, it was 12, 13 hours ago. It, was, it hadn't even been a full day. We were talking in the morning. And he goes, well, yeah, that's true. But, but we deliver on a high level. And I said, well, that's cool. But their employee doesn't know that because the rule is 24 hours and you're here, you're frustrated. You're, you're even talking about potentially letting that person go <laughs> and wow. you haven't even set the groundwork and the expect expectation of, of what you want out of that individual. And they're not even buying, how do they even know? Like their vision is even aligned with, with what your expectation is. So it's just, there's, there's a lot of things like that. And I, I don't, I think it's just for lack of, I even struggled when I took over the engineering services firm from a management standpoint. It was, it was the school of hard knocks. It took me a good two years to learn to manage on, a, on an individual level, set those expectations and work together as a team rather than um, each individual uh, was more of a resource, looking at it as a resource. It's more about a team collaboration and getting everyone on the same page. And I think that's really hard. I'd be curious, your opinion too. I think that's really hard for owners to intuitively see that. Yeah, I do think that's an issue that there's a, a trust factor. Mm -hmm. Until somebody's been doing it, you know, somebody that works for the company has been doing it for a while and has proven themselves that can handle that responsibility. I think a lot of owners have a real challenge with, can I trust them to do it the way I would do it or as good as me? And I think you brought up a good point that it doesn't necessarily have to be as good as the owner. Right. It has to hit the expectation of the consumer, right? Or, or, or the customer. And you, you need to satisfy them. That's the most important thing. And I think there's different levels of satisfaction. There's different ways to satisfy them. And a lot of cases, what I see is the employee is better at a lot of things than the owner is. Take advantage of those attributes yeah. and not just put, you need to be me. You need to be the owner. You need to do it exactly the way I do it. Take advantage of what they bring to the table and you'll have a better, stronger company if you do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And I think another aspect of this too, in terms of that whole delegation 
you know, there are some, so there, we use this word freedom a lot when you have your own business, like your goal is to become free, but everybody has a different definition of that. To some people, freedom means they're out of their business completely and they're going on vacation for a month and that that's their freedom. To others, it means, hey, I really want to do what I enjoy doing in my business and I want to be delegating pieces of it that I really don't want to be in the weeds of it. And so there's kind of different stages there too. Uh, that I think you have to consider with the, whatever the owner's goals are. Yeah, and you know, there's so much to get into here. Uh, I know. <laughs> this is like, uh, we could make an entire podcast out of it. Actually, you have. We'll, we'll tell people about that too. Uh, but first, we'll take a short break here. We'll be right back with more DIY for Business. And thanks for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, part of the Electrocast Network and part of the Best Business Network as well. Uh, okay, so we're talking about growth and trust, and you know, one of the things here in trusting somebody to kind of you know do the job, and this is one of the things that you know I really struggled with early on in in, in owning a business. Uh, so, you know, I, I put together documentation, I put together systems, but I also, I wanted to like really pull this into numbers, right? And see how things were, were going. So I created just a bunch of, uh, you know, key result areas that I would look at on a regular basis. So I could sort of track to see, are people getting called back? You know, are, you know, are people showing up later? Is this happening? Is that happening? Like, let's look at all of these different areas that were key to my business so that I knew how do you, um, and, and, you know, I know every business is a little bit different, but as you said earlier, a lot of the management principles are the same. What are some of those areas that you suggest that businesses look at? Yeah. I think when we're talking about measurables, KPIs, metrics, dashboard numbers, flash reports, they all kind of mean the same thing. That is one area where industry uh, is going to have some unique company wide. They're going to have some unique metrics that you're going to track. Um, and then you're also going to have some that are measurables on the employee level. You just mentioned that like, well, what, what, you know, if you got a salesperson, how many leads are you delegating to them and how many are converting? Those might be some measurables for a salesperson. Sales tends to be an easier one, uh, to come up with the measurables. Other positions can be a oh, little yeah. more challenging. Your, your account. Yeah. Your accounting department might be being able to maintain the close by the 10th of the month, the closing of the books, um, things like that mm-hmm. on a business level. Um, you really have, you know, there's some that are more common. Gross profit percentage, GP, is is really the one I, I usually across any business I'm really looking at. And, and I, every, I feel every business owner should really understand because what you'll see is um, people oftentimes are gravitated, gravitated towards sales. But not all sales are equal. So you can you can blow your sales up mm-hmm. and you actually see your GP go yeah. down. And that's because you're taking on really poor right. business. And, um, and and so that gets lost sometimes with business owners. And there's a saying, it's uh, sales is vanity. Bottom line is sanity. I love that saying because, <laughs> you know, you know, it feels good to have a lot of sales, yeah. but it doesn't always mean you're making money. Yeah. Um, it means you're working so, harder. Doesn't exactly. mean you're making more money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. I actually love your quote there. I, I just wrote that down. I'm going to use that on a regular yeah, basis. I do that too. That is cool. <laughs> we, we may be stealing that one, Tyler. I don't know if you're okay with that. 
Well, for fair disclosure, I think I stole it from someone. Oh, right. so I, okay. I didn't make I, it I don't up. feel bad now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, what I would like you to expand on is is the poor business yeah. idea. Like, there's good business. There's really there's bad customers. There's good customers, right? Like, yeah. I, I had been there as well in in running my business. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So I'll use uh, when I was in the engineering services world, and, and this is translatable to almost every business, but you'd have a client come to you and they would go now in, in, in the staffing world, which is what we were in. It's common to work for free until you actually place someone. You place a consultant out, out in the field. So you have to go find someone that matches and then you place them out there. So you're working for free. And so there's no cost to the client at that point. And so a client often will go, hey, well, on this first deal, I want you to essentially make $0, not, not quite that bad. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but make a really low GP. And then in the future, low, really low gross profit to define that. But in the future, I'll pay you more. And that, that, that was like a typical negotiation that a mm. client would say. And usually my response to that was, well, let's, let's flip that. I'm happy to make money now and invest in you, uh, you know, invest my services in you and ultimately make money on it. Um, then let's renegotiate our pricing once I've demonstrated to you and I've provided with you with resources that can help you um, because I'm investing in you, I'm investing my time. And then I'm happy to renegotiate or look at what that should look like after there's been a period of time. And, and, you know, truthfully, just coming back half the time to clients like that, they're like, oh, okay. And they don't usually renew it, renegotiate your, your fee once they know you can deliver the services. But uh, in the staffing world, there's a lot of firms that will actually take on business that really doesn't make them a lot of money. And that's just bad business. It's not necessarily a bad client. It, it's just it's poor negotiation and it and it's also not knowing when to walk away. So that's one example. You know, another example, great example in the trade services you see a lot is um, everybody wants the deal. They always want to close it, but sometimes doing a five hundred dollar job relative to your normal five thousand dollar project makes no sense. Like you're just you're taking your team your your team's eye off the ball, your eye off the ball to travel across town to do a five hundred dollar job. When, when reality, take the Saturday off and, in, and catch your breath for Monday to do the $5,000 job instead of, of getting spread too thin. So those are kind of like two extreme examples that is in, in my world of how I view good vis- business for, versus bad business. And it's really hard to turn away business. So I, I, And I get that. Um, but it has to be part of your plan. If you have a plan, it becomes a lot easier in terms of what is your ideal business? What GP are you looking for? Then making those decisions are a little less uh, painful to do. Yeah, you mentioned you know the metrics and you know GP being a, a big one that you look at. I'm interested in finding out like when you're meeting with a potential new business client, right? How do you evaluate whether you know, you're a good fit, whether a business coach in general is a good fit for what they need. And, you know, what do they typically come to you with as far as information goes to help you make that evaluation? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So business coaching is really an unregulated area, like all coaching, I think all coaching is. The barrier to entry to coaching is very small. So you get a very wide range of people calling themselves business coaches or other titles, right? So um, my point in bringing that up is for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm evaluating a client when they come in on whether they can get benefit from my services are on the standards of how I've built businesses and on the standards of what I've seen has gone wrong. And so when someone comes to me and says, 
you know, my first conversation usually isn't GP because oftentimes owners don't know it truthfully, or if they do know it, it doesn't even line up to what's on their financial statements. So I don't really get heavily into the numbers out the gate. I will identify that as being a problem during the conversation, which oftentimes it is. Um, but I'm looking for things that, um, are, are oftentimes more emotional. So it might be a loss of a major client. It might be um, another common one is a husband or wife. It could be the wife. It could be the husband. One of them is tied to the business and spending 60 hours a week, missing family time, not really feeling like they're getting ahead in their business. Or if they are, they're the ones, everything is on their back to get it done. These are like the telltale signs that I know I'm going to be able to help someone. Um, if someone comes to me where it's not something I can really help them with. Like I'll give you an example. There's a lot of business coaches will say, Hey, I'm going to grow your sales 10 X. I don't know if you get these on LinkedIn, but I get them like five times a <laughs> yeah. week. I'm going to get you $50,000. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get you $50,000 sales this month. And, um, you know, that's not going to be the client, um, that with that type of expectation that I'm going to be able to help with, because that's not really how you build a business. Like you're not going to, I'm not going to increase your sales in one month by, triple X, uh, at least not legally. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I deal with that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always funny to me and I, you know, it's, it's just like one of those things that at, at some point I just realized this cause you know, in taking like, you know, marketing classes and, and, and you know, the yeah. practice of marketing is so much about psychology and then, you know, you go off and you do sales. It's so much about psychology really yeah. <laughs> running your business is the same thing. It's like getting inside, not just your customer's head, but your own head and figuring out, you know, like what you can handle, what you can do. It, it's so interesting to me that those topics always just interweave. <laughs> and to take that one step further, management is very psychological totally. too, yeah. right? Because you're dealing with individuals, you're dealing with different personalities, you're your, their agenda is way different than your agenda and finding that connection. Um, it takes a very psychological element. And frankly, guys, that, I think I mentioned this a little earlier in the, in, in our conversation, that's where I really suffered at first because that empathy, mm -hmm. that emotional connection, I had to develop that muscle. I had to really understand it. And I had to really put caring about the employee first, uh, rather than getting the tasks done. And that, that takes learning. And that's something I see often in my client base when we first start out is they just view the employee as a, as a resource to get something done. And, and they lose that emotional connection of valuing them as people. Um, so that's a big part of it too. That's a great point. You know, it's interesting that you're talking about, you know, how to manage, how to work with employees. And, you know, we need to go to break, unfortunately, right now. But uh, when we come back from break, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more and how you help them work with the employees. Sure. So we'll be we'll be right back. And we're back with DIY for Business. We're talking to business coach Tyler Martin here. And, and before the break, we talked a little bit about, you know, how the coaching aspect of what you do works into managing employees. And, you know, I, I wonder how much time do you spend getting to know the actual relationships with the employees and so that you can actually guide you know, the owner or the manager that you're working with on how to develop those relationships in, in a stronger, more productive way? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it, there's, there's several moving parts in there. One is team meetings. You know, oftentimes 
uh, small businesses uh, don't do regular meetings, team meetings. They think, you know, there's the, that constant thing like, oh, man, it's another meeting. It's a waste of time. But that's because their meeting doesn't have an agenda. It doesn't have a focus around what they're trying to accomplish. So that's part of that communication. It kind of starts there. Then the next the next step is um, where I will get involved is some of my clients, I actually do lead their team meetings. That's part of the service that I provide. Um, and, and Or sometimes I'm a fly on the wall, but I very much like being part of those meetings because you said something huge, it, Greg, is you said – um, how do I, how can I get, how do I know where the employee's at in terms of engaging that relationship? So by being a fly on the wall, I see the dynamics. Like I see what that interaction looks like and it's empowering, um, for me to be able to help the, the owner develop into a leader, develop into a better leader, a better manager. Um, some of the employees I work with one-on-one, -on -one, not all, uh, depending on where they're at in the organization, usually lead title on up I'll often interface with and I'll get their perspective on what they see and it is mine it is just it blows my mind like employees see things so much differently than owners within the own business that I wouldn't be aware of unless I heard what that employee shared with me in their perspective so that's a great question yeah, I have a follow up to that because, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses yep. and sometimes you're dealing with an owner that just they're, they're not empathetic as you know, yeah. that's not part of their personality trait there, or they're not good communicators. Right. And I'm, I'm interested in, and how do you work with somebody that, you know, with, you know, enhancing what they're good at, but also getting past what they're not good at, whether it's communication or the empathy aspect of their personality? What do you do in those situations? Yeah. So I, I, I've taken several leadership courses. I continue to take them. I myself want to continue to evolve as a leader myself, and then also expand my own knowledge to share with my clients. And I think, you know, they all have different challenges. Some it's delegations really hard for them. Like their first thought is to do it themselves. And that's usually the easy one to diagnose. Um, I'll give you a real world example. I had a client that I was in on the interview for a prospective employee. And I've been on, a, on these interviews several times, actually. And the questions were like super pointed and frictional to this candidate. And um, what I did after the end of the conversation, uh, it happened a couple times. First time I didn't say anything. Wanted to see if maybe it was a bad day or just didn't, maybe I wasn't hearing it right. So I wanted to get really gather the data points first. After the second time, I said, hey, I just want to bring something up. Do you, are you open to getting a little constructive feedback in terms of the candidates that we're talking to? She said, yeah, what's up? And I said, well, we're really pointed in those meetings. You're really pointed. And it, 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 if I were a candidate, I wouldn't be walking away going, hey, this is where I want to work, especially given this market. It's a pretty competitive market right now. Um, and, you know, we had a really heartfelt conversation. It opened the door to one of the challenges this individual actually faces in terms of, of channeling her energy in a way that she can connect with people. And so uh, your point, your question is awesome. I don't think there's a black blanket answer. I think it's, and I think that's what frankly makes a coach great versus maybe good is uh, being intuitive, um, finding the moment to have that conversation. Because as a coach, you know, you really want to build people up. I, business owners do so many cool things. So we're having a lot of conversations right now around maybe what they could be doing better. But they do so many awesome things, too, that that, that deserve recognition and deserve um, bringing awareness to all their great traits that they have. 
there's some things in there, of course, they can develop on. And I think a good coach uh, is looking for those moments, those training moments, those teaching moments um, uh, to, to, to bring them to the next level. So, so awesome question. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think it's, it's, there's no one size fits all fix. I mean, you've got to get in there and actually figure out like for that particular person, you know, figure out like really, you know, figure out where their weaknesses are, where their strengths are. But I, I, I almost feel like I, I led with weakness because that's the more Im- important thing. You know, I mean, we, we need to right. like figure out just as a business owner, we need to embrace our flaws you know, and just know, Hey, this is a problem. This is something that either I shouldn't do or can't do. Um, and then you, you, you own those, you know, flaws so that you can actually get some help for that or hire people. And, then taking it to the next level is figuring that out with your your staff and your team and figuring out their flaws and their strengths and 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 playing to that it's 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 not easy you know and i think right. getting a coach when you need it is is definitely a, a good idea yeah i i had a client a couple of weeks ago she was just beaming about her team and the col- camaraderie and the collaboration and they're willing to go their willingness to go the extra step and that to me is like the epitome of uh when you're leading great is like you get this collaboration you get this involvement um if you've got a someone that doesn't fit in and you've done everything possible to get them with the program you realize that you're doing them a benefit by asking them not to be part of the team anymore mm-hmm. um and and, and so you know, there's both extremes of it, but when it's working, my, my thing, like if, when, when you bring on a business coach, what I hope to do is oftentimes business is no longer fun for that entrepreneur owner. And I hope to bring that fun back. That's like, I I bring up a lot in meetings. Like this is about having, we can make money and have fun. It doesn't have to be always stressful and always overwhelming and always like as soon as you think things are working something goes wrong um that's part of the planning aspect of it to avoid those pitfalls um i'm not saying everything's going to be roses but you definitely can mitigate it when you have someone on your shoulder that 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 has experienced some things and can can help you avoid those pitfalls so yeah i'm with you all the way on that you know i i look at your industry kind of like chiropractors Because if you go to a good chiropractor because your back's hurting or something like that, and they, you know, they have kind of an intense process that they do. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the the pain's going away and you're not so sore anymore and you're feeling better. And all of a sudden that patient has to kind of go away. I mean, they, they don't necessarily, they're not coming every week. They're not coming every month. They're coming very infrequently. And I kind of look as business coaching kind of the same way. It's like, if you do your job well, you're going to get them to the level they're going to hit their goals. And then I'm just curious, what's that next step in your involvement with the company after you've kind of hit the initial goals that they want to hit? Yeah. So the way I do it is I have a 90-day sprint is what I call it. And every 90 days, we have a new sprint. And we're defining three goals. Accountability is a big part of my service. We haven't talked about it too much. But um, every 90 days, there we're going to get – we're going to sprint. And of the, in that 90 days, goals is actually a five-year goal. And so we're always intertwined with that, those 90 day goals to our five year goal. So one other aspect of my service is 
I build, I, I help people build a business around value. It's not about sales. It's about building their business value. And, and what it does is it gives them, them the option someday to be able to sell their business at peak value. Now, most people, when I start out work, start working with, they have, they have no intention of selling their business and that's great. I still am going to ask them to approach their business as if they're going to sell it someday. So the 90 day goals, we just keep resetting goals. And, you know, what I find is, um, the problems, the challenges are different, but they don't go away. So when you get to a million dollars and you're now wanting to get to $2 million of revenue, there's a new set of problems in doing that. You know, now you're adding two more people. Now you're adding another layer. So if you're building your, your leadership team, team correctly, you're, you're funneling people that maybe are at the lead role. Then they're going to go into the manager role. Then they're going to maybe go into a director role. Maybe someday they'll be a chief of some sort. So all those hats in that process, you're continuing to evolve as you grow. So some clients, they start to get to a certain level where maybe it's not a weekly meeting, maybe it's a biweekly meeting or it's a monthly meeting. Some I even have quarterly where they're a little more established, but I think there's something in there. Uh, you know, the benefit that I have is when you do get into that eight figure range, when you start to build a $25 million company and, 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 and sell it, you've, you've really experienced a lot of levels in there that I think I can, take people through that journey as their, as their business grows. Yeah. You know, um, I, I like the idea of looking at your business as something that you're going to sell someday, because it's kind of like, you know, looking at your house, <laughs> you know, like, okay, you own your house. Why am I doing this maintenance? Well, it's because I want to make sure that this is investment stays where I could actually yeah. potentially sell this thing someday and make a nice profit on it. So, you know, I'm cleaning the gutters. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I'm making and, and why, sure the why not, like, why not get making the, sure that everything yeah. is there for that investment. Yeah, why not get the enjoyment from it? Exactly. Too, right. Well, yeah. so you get the enjoyment of the improvement, but that which in this case might be systems and processes. Using that right. as an example, right. you get the benefit of being out of your business a little bit and not being totally tied to it. But oh, by the way, now you've increased the multiple tremendously. If you ever do want to mm -hmm. sell it. So yeah. you mentioned earlier that you do a lot of these sessions on Zoom, which means I guess you're open up to everybody. If somebody wanted to reach out to you to use you as a business coach, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, my website is thinktyler.com. Um, there's buttons on there to schedule a meeting with me. My email is uh, tyler at thinktyler.com. Welcome to reach out to me. Um, I love talking with people. I love uh you know, first conversation is just an intro meeting. It's not a sales call. It's just to kind of get to know each other and see if there's something there that maybe um, I can benefit someone. Awesome. And you also have a podcast. I do. Awesome. So we'll, we'll link to that in the uh, description here. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. It's, you know, getting to talk with you guys is what's made the podcast so fun is you meet really cool people, really intelligent people. Uh, and it's just such a such a cool experience to be to be on on the journey of podcasting. Can you just tell me that every day? You know, I like that positive <laughs> affirmation. I, you know. <laughs> Do I send you the proposal at, right after this meeting? Or? <laughs> no, thanks a lot for coming on with us today, Tyler. You know, it's all the things that you brought up. It's kind of, it is kind of that positive affirmation because Russ and I have done a lot of episodes and a lot of the episodes are around exactly the topics that you work with these businesses on. So it, it kind of helps us see that we're going in the right direction of being that resource for those businesses that want to grow because, you know, coming from an expert like you that's coaching these companies, 
we're kind of doing it in a podcast method where you're doing it in a, in a coaching way. And it's just, uh, it's just really cool to bring it all together like this. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. I had a blast. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. And thank you for listening, subscribing, and reviewing DIY for Business, a part of the ElectroCast network of podcasts. The subjects that we cover on the podcast are selected with the goal of helping your business grow. Now, all of the information provided is opinion-based, and you might want to consult a professional like Tyler uh, to discuss your exact business needs. Greg and I want your company to succeed, and we're happy to take your questions. Uh, We would also love to hear your suggestions for future episodes. I I wrote down a few just based on this interview today, so... (laughs) Uh, If there's an area where you need some solid business advice or help, let us know. We might be able to build an entire episode around it and get your questions answered. You can reach out to us by sending us a direct message on Twitter or visiting our website, DIYforbusinesspodcast.com. Both of these links are in the podcast description. Uh, We love talking to business owners as well. If, If you would like to join us on a future show, reach out to us can hit us up on our website or Twitter. We thank you again for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, where you are not alone. Welcome to Abracadabra, Create What You Speak, the podcast that combines spirituality with creativity. Here, guests from around the world share their stories and insights on navigating life's challenges through art, music, and creative expression. Connect to yourself, others, and the world through empowering conversations viewed through a spiritual lens. I'm Ilana Zulai, your host, a spiritual mentor, and a sound therapist. Electric Acid. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.